Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. Welcome to everyone joining us online in the state, all across the country and the world. Welcome to those of you joining us at one of our physical campuses at Apex or Morrisville or Garner or Raleigh. And welcome to this huge crowd in the room right now. How are you guys doing? Good. You heard what the topic was, didn't you? We are in uh, week three of our series that we're calling House of Cards, The Illusion of the Perfect Family. And uh, we're talking about marriage, we're talking about dating, about parenting. And we're learning that the world has a thousand different opinions of how we should navigate those relationships. But all those opinions fall short when we get to the principles and the truths that we find in God's word. And it's only when we begin to embrace those truths and apply God's truth to those family relationships that we will begin to thrive. And the topic uh, this week, uh, the world has a ton of uh, different opinions about how we should navigate this. Uh, First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes... Oh, good. Usually it's baby in the baby carriage. You had a different nursery rhyme than I did. Okay, yes. That's the topic that we are going to be talking about this week. Uh, Now, some of you might already be rolling your eyes like, okay, another sermon by another pastor about how horrible and dangerous sex is and why we should stay away from it. Let me just say up front, nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, You just have to breeze through the Bible just really quickly, and you will see that sex is an amazing gift that God gave us, and not just for bearing children, but also for pleasure. Isn't that crazy? To think about he invented it, he gave it to us as a gift, and he didn't have to. We could have reproduced like flowers or like, I don't know, jellyfish. I don't know how jellyfish reproduce. I should have Googled that. Uh, But he gave us this amazing gift of sex for our pleasure. And he invented it. He's a good gift giver. Like if me and God worked in the same office and we did Secret Santa, I would do anything to pull his name because he gives the best gifts. So sex is awesome. I hope I have some soon. It's one of the best. (laughs) My wife watches these. I got to slip that in there. It is one of the best gifts that God has given us. And it's incredibly powerful in the context of marriage to unite and to create intimacy and to create tenderness. And because it is so powerful, when we use it outside of the guidelines that God has given us, outside of the context that he has designed it for, it can be incredibly destructive. It can be dangerous. Um, That's when sex goes wrong, when we use it outside of the parameters that God has given us. And just so you know, the parameters that God has given us to use sex is one man and one woman inside a context of marriage where there's a lifelong covenant. And anything outside of that is using sex outside of those parameters. It's kind of like fire, okay? Fire is an amazing thing. Um, It keeps us warm. It used to bring us light in the darkness. It's how we cook our food. It powered the Industrial Revolution. But when it gets outside of the context, when it breaks out of the barriers that we use it in, that's when it causes destruction. That's when it can wreak havoc. There's something inside of us that just knows fire must be contained. That's why it's called a fireplace. If that fire escapes and gets into our kitchen or our living room or our house or into the woods, it can cause massive harm. 
That's why whenever we smell smoke, somewhere we're not supposed to smell smoke, we're alarmed. Alarm bells go off. We feel this sense of caution. And that's good. But my fear is that in the culture that we live in, just in this day and age, we've lost that same sense of caution when it comes to sex. You know, our culture says stuff like one night stand or hook up or side chick or all these other phrases that I can't say on stage. Uh, And it just goes to show us that as a culture, we treat sex so incredibly casually. And the Bible would say there is no such thing as casual sex. It is a really good gift, and it's powerful, but it needs to be respected, and it needs to be used correctly and according to how God designed it. So that's what we're going to talk about this week. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Song of Songs, or your Bible might say Song of Solomon. We're going to be jumping all over the place, so thank you for bringing your Bible. It might be better just to look at the side screens um, this week. Um, But Aaron uh, told us about this book the first week of this series. It's a book about King Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, and his bride-to-be, this lady lady that goes unnamed. And it traces the course of their entire relationship. Uh, They go from meeting each other to courtship to dating to engagement. It records the wedding. It records the wedding night, which we're actually going to read about this week. And it records the first season of their life as newlyweds. And part of this couple's dating relationship is the awakening of sexual desire for each other. And this book is meant to be a picture of how a godly relationship should go. So it says in chapter 2, this is the woman talking, it says, As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. So this is a little snapshot of a date that they're on. Maybe their first date, I don't know, but they go to the banqueting house. And back in those days, you would recline to eat. You would lay on your side. And so uh, she lays on her side. He lays on on his side as well and kind of cuddles up next to her. He's big spoon. She's little spoon. He puts his hand under her head, kind of does that yawn move. And when he does that, that physical touch, she's like, okay. She starts feeling something. And it's right there that she says this in verse 7. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And she says this a few times. She says, do not awaken love or do not awaken sexual desire until it pleases, until it's time. So she realizes these urges, and these urges aren't bad, but she stomps on the brakes. Out of wisdom, she stops that awakening from proceeding even further because she knows that when it comes to sex, there's a time, there's not a line. There is a time, there's not a line. As a pastor, I get asked all the time from really well-meaning couples, hey, we're dating or we might get engaged soon. Where's the line sexually? Is it it okay to kiss her before, uh, uh, after a date? Is is a kiss goodnight, is that where the line is? Is it a longer kiss that goes a little bit longer into the night? Is that where the line is? Is it a full contact makeout session all through the night? Is that where the line is? Um, is it creative forms of sex that aren't like sex sex? Like, like where's the line? That's what we want to know. But the Bible doesn't look at sex that way. It doesn't say here's the line. Instead, the Bible says here's the time. And the proper time for any sexual activity is after marriage. Before that, the Bible says, don't do it. Don't even mess around with it. Put parameters in place to not even awaken those desires. 
Because it's like going to a fireplace, like a fully stocked fireplace, and it's got like the kindling, it's got the twigs, it's got the limbs, it's got the logs, it's got the fire starter fuel. It's like walking up and saying, okay, where's the line? Is it that twig or that, like if I can, can I just light two twigs? Can I do that? Can I do like three twigs or four twigs? No, no, because if you light one twig, the whole fire is gonna be consumed. It's gonna become a bonfire, and that's okay. That's how God intended sex to be used. It was meant to be started and then completed. And please hear me, in marriage, this is a wonderful thing to feel those awakening desires and to experience the pleasures of sex. In fact, Solomon records what the wedding night is like. Get ready to blush, okay? So they get married and they go into the bridal chambers. This is in the Bible, again, on your grandmother's shelf. And they disrobe. They completely take their clothes off and they stand looking at each other and they begin to awaken that desire with these words. He goes from her head to her toes and just praises her, and she does the same thing. He says, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Okay, some of these compliments don't really work. Don't tell your wife she has goat hair, okay? (laughs) Back in those days, it was smooth. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins. You got white teeth and you got all of them. So she's (laughs) not from Fuquay. (laughs) That was too easy, come on. And so he moves down to her lips, and then down to her cheeks, and then down to her neck, and then down to her shoulders, and then he gets pretty bold. Says this, your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruits. (laughs) And she's not even like offended. She's like, lay hold of it, my brother. And she says this, she says, my beloved is radiant and ruddy. I wanna be called ruddy at one point in my life. Distinguished among 10,000. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on the bases of gold. And all of this desire gets worked out. And and, and this, this awakening of sexual desires. And it ends with marriage night sex. He says this, Awake, O north wind, O come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden, let its spices flow. And she says, Let my beloved come to his garden. And eat its choicest fruits. And so they do. And at the end, he says, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine and my milk. And then their friends, they're not in the wedding chamber, but they're outside and they know what's going on. And they encourage it. They say, eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. Enjoy the amazing gift that God has given you. It's beautiful. It's holy. It's pure. It's awesome. And that's how sex was designed to work. It's meant to be awakened and then consummated. The desire is meant to be fulfilled. It's not designed to be started and then stopped. Like once that little spark catches fire, it's meant to turn into a bonfire. Once the oven starts preheating, you're meant to sit down to a four-course meal, okay? It's meant to start with the awakening and then end with the mutual pleasure and the satisfaction. And so we don't want to start that little spark before it's time, before it's season. Because we don't want to start it and we don't want to stop it. And some of you are like, why not? Why can't I enjoy all the physical pleasures of sex before marriage? So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. The first thing is, you can't. 
You can't enjoy all the physical and emotional and spiritual pleasures of sex outside of marriage. And some of you are single, and you might be sexually active, and you might think, I have the best sex ever. You don't know anything. You don't. And it's kind of sad that you think that. Nothing compares with guilt-free sex in the, in, the, in the context of a covenant of grace where there's years of intimacy before it and there's years of intimacy after it. So first you can't, but also there are certain aspects of sex that are incredibly helpful and beneficial in a marriage that make sex also destructive and harmful outside of marriage. They can actually harm your marriage before you even begin it. And so these are the aspects, there's, there's, there's dozens of them, but I just want to highlight two. First, sex blinds. Sex blinds. You just heard the woman say, I am drunk with love. That's a theme in Song of Solomon. It's compared to beer or wine. Love or lust or sexual desire makes us drunk. It clouds our perception. It clouds our judgment. Like you ever heard of beer goggles before? It's kind of like sex goggles, okay? We have uh, these jokes in our culture about you go to a bar and you're five beers in and you see what he's a 10, she's a 10. You go home, you wake up the next morning, she's a two. What did I do, right? What? He's a two and a half, maybe. Because your judgment, the beer kind of clouded your judgment, your perception. Well, it's the same thing as sex. Our, our, our uh, marriage uh, pastor, Dave Lanuti, I'm going to be quoting him a lot the next few weeks. He, he literally calls them sex goggles. Uh, sex causes us to overlook faults and red flags of another person. It clouds your perception, it clouds your judgment. Now, this is a really, really good thing in marriage. In order for a man or a wife to even have sex, they have to lay down any small grudges they have with the other person. In order for them to be that intimate, they have to have already forgiven their partner of some minor things. Married couples, you ever have that talk right before you're intimate? Like, okay, we're going to do this, but I just got to get this off my chest. Or can we clear this up? Like, you said what this morning? Can, we, can you explain that, right? And men, you know this. The moment that sex is even on the table, you don't care how much money she spent. You don't care if the house is clean. You don't care what she said about your mom. You've already laid down those grudges. Because sex creates an atmosphere of grace, of tenderness of short memories, of overlooking offenses. Love keeps no record of wrong. And that's an amazing thing in marriage. And it, the reason it's so amazing is because you've already committed to one another. You've made your choice. This is my spouse. And you've locked into a lifelong commitment with them, a covenant of grace. But you can see why these sex goggles, why this clouding your judgment and perception can, can be so horrible before marriage. Because when you're dating, you aren't committed to that person yet. You're still evaluating. You're trying to figure out if he's the one or if she's the one. So you don't want your judgment clouded when you're doing that. You need to be able to do a thorough evaluation of whether this person is marriage material. And when you introduce sex into the relationship too early on, you, you can't possibly do this. Dave Lanuti again says this, you can't objectively judge compatibility with someone you're sleeping with. Because once you start having sex, with someone, you will overlook red flags. You will minimize warning signs. And you'll end up staying with someone that is potentially very, very bad for you, at the worst, actually harmful for you and your relationship with God. And I've seen this happen dozens of times. A couple will start dating, and there's a few red flags, and their friends kind of caution them, but they do it anyway, and they introduce sex into the relationship way too early. 
because he wants to and she doesn't want to be lonely. And then a few months in, they move in together. And again, there's all these red flags, but they're still having sex. They're not talking about marriage yet. And a few months go by, or even a year or two go by, and I'll get a call from the guy or girl and just like, hey, I, I don't think this is the one. There's some complications in our relationship. I don't think I should be marrying this person, but now you've been moved in together. You're splitting the rent. You've adopted a dog or a cat together. You're splitting a Netflix account, and you're kind of stuck, you know? We always counsel couples who are in a premarital class to do two things. Stop sleeping together, and if you're living together, move out. And just so you know, there's nothing in the Bible that says that you can't live with someone before you get married. But I've never met a couple that lives together that doesn't also sleep together. That's an impossibility. And so we highly encourage, we don't command, but we highly encourage people to stop doing those two things. And a lot of people take us up on the offer, and it's awesome. I could tell you stories about a guy that moved into a tent in Jordan Lake for a few months before he got married, and he is so glad that he did. You should have seen him just beaming on his wedding day. Um, but a lot of couples take us up on that offer, and some of those couples, you might say unfortunately, I would say fortunately, they break up because the sex goggles have come off. Sex has stopped clouding their perception, and for the first time, they're objective, and they realize I shouldn't be with that person. See? So that's the first reason that sex outside of marriage can be dangerous. It can be harmful. It blinds. But the second and more serious reason, again, out of dozens, is that sex binds. It blinds and it binds. Sex creates a physical and a mental and a spiritual and emotional bond between a man and a woman like nothing else. The Bible says it's a physical, mental, spiritual, emotional bond that, that only God really understands and that only God can really break. Meaning, getting up in the morning and leaving her house does not break that bond. A breakup or a divorce doesn't even necessarily break that bond. Um, after the couple in Song of Songs has been married for a while, um, you can see her language kind of shift. She says this in chapter 3, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. She says later, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. And you can see after they have sex in marriage, there's this deep physical and mental and spiritual and emotional connection. There's almost this sense of ownership. I am his and he is mine. We're one. And when she even thinks about another woman getting together with her man, there's these flashes of jealousy, and that's holy jealousy. That's good. Paul actually talks about this in 1 Corinthians in greater detail. Um, if you don't know about the Corinthians, um, it's a town in ancient Rome, and Paul wrote them three letters. We actually don't have the second one, so in our Bibles it should be First and Third Corinthians. But he wrote two letters to them. And the town of Corinth was known for its sexual promiscuity. In fact, in the Roman world, um, when, you were, when you called someone a Corinthianizer, it means they slept around a lot. It was actually a euphemism for that. And the reason was because in Corinth, they had a temple to the goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of love and sex. And that temple employed over 1,000 temple prostitutes, over 1,000. 
And uh, so in Corinth, it was very, very common, actually a required part of normal life for you to go visit a temple prostitute. And they had male prostitutes and female prostitutes. And this is the church to which Paul writes the letter of 1 Corinthians. And they don't think it's that big a deal. You can read early in the chapter, they think it's just another physical appetite. Like, when I'm hungry, I eat food. When I'm thirsty, I drink water. There's nothing spiritual about that. It's just, it's just uh, completing a, a physical appetite. When I get in the mood for sex, I just go have sex with a prostitute. There's nothing wrong with that. But Paul says this in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ, united to Christ, bonded to Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute or bond them to a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one uh, body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So flee from sexual immorality. Listen to this. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And he's saying, you might not think it's a big deal, Corinthians, or you might not think it's a big deal in 20th century America to have sex with someone, but it's a bigger deal than you know. Because when you have sex with someone, that one flesh union that we talked about last week becomes a reality. He's saying that that sexual encounter creates a physical and mental and spiritual and emotional bond. It unites people in a very, very deep way. Modern science has actually proven this recently. A scientist that found a chemical called oxytocin, and it's called the bonding chemical. And as you would guess, it, it exists in women naturally way up here. And in men, way down here. That's why women are so good at bonding and forming a lifelong relationships. Uh, but that chemical spikes in women during uh, three different environments. One is childbirth. So it spikes so you can bond to that child. Uh, the second is breastfeeding. Again, it spikes so you can bond to that child. And then it spikes way through the roof during a sexual encounter. And then men have oxytocin as well. And it doesn't ever get that too high except in sex. And guess what? It matches that level of a woman. Right? So science is proven that something life-changing, life-altering happens biochemically in your body when you unite with someone in sexual activity. And everyone knows this. I think our culture tries to, to pull like, the wool over our eyes, but we know. Like, you don't remember the first time you lied to your parents, probably. You don't remember the first time that you got in trouble in school. You don't remember the first time you had candy or ice cream, but everyone remembers their first sexual partner. You can remember them right now. You know their name, you know where you were. You think about them years afterwards or even for your entire life. It's because a bond has been formed that only God really understands and the only God can really break. And again, this is amazing in marriage. It's the way that we physically feel the intimacy that we've covenanted to or promised to. I love my wife more than anyone in the world. We're coming up on 15 years, and I feel closer to my wife than ever before. We were texting even today. You know, I still love you after all this time. Me too, boo, is cute. But sex actually brings us closer. It's a way that we physically experience and enjoy that bond that we've had all those years. But you can see why it's so bad outside of marriage. Because when you have multiple sexual encounters before marriage, you're teaching yourself to bond with someone and then to unnaturally break apart. And then you have another partner and you bond with that partner. 
and then you unnaturally break apart while this bond still exists. And you do it again and again and again. And what you're really doing, if you have a habit of doing that, a lifestyle of doing that, is you are training yourself. You are literally making yourself immune to one of the, to one of the most amazing benefits of um, sex inside marriage, which is intimacy. You're making yourself immune to intimacy. It's like if I were to take duct tape, I was going to actually do it on stage, but I'm not, and I would have put it on my leg, okay, and I were just to push it in, and I rip that duct tape off, that would hurt, right? Probably take some skin with it, at least the hair that I got. But then I put it in a different space, and I pushed it down real tight, and I ripped it off again. It would still hurt. It would still hurt. But eventually, if I kept doing that over and over and over and over again, what's going to happen? It's going to lose its stickiness. It's not going to sting whatsoever, and it's also not going to stick anymore. I'll talk to women, like I've been dating this guy, and he has kind of a promiscuous past, but he wants to settle down, and it just seems like he's so afraid of commitment. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, no, 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 he's not afraid of commitment. He's allergic to intimacy. He's taught himself to avoid it. He's taught himself to not feel it. So when you bond and you bond and you bond and you bond and you bond over and over again, you're actually increasing your likelihood for divorce by a thousand percent. And no one has, everybody has a dream wedding and a dream marriage, and no one says, you know what, I would love to be married to someone and then get divorced three years later. But that's what you're training yourself for, and to not even care were that to happen. See? And one of the questions I get asked all the time when I talk about this stuff with couples, and it seems to be an important question, so I do want to address it. If we don't have sex before we're married, how will we know if we're sexually compatible? Isn't that important? Like, it, how will we know if I have a higher drive and they don't? Or they have way too high a drive for my taste? What if, what if they're bad at sex? Like, isn't, how will we know if we're compatible? And in the nicest, most pastoral way I can say this, that is the dumbest question ever. <laughs> Here's how you know if you're compatible. If you pee sitting down and they pee standing up, you're compatible. If you stand up and the, if the parts match, you're compatible, for real. In fact, you're sexually compatible with half of the planet. It's true. Half the planet could please you sexually, but that doesn't mean that you need to marry that person. But what about the different drives? What about the different sex drives? What if mine's higher or lower? You mean the drives that change dramatically throughout the seasons of life? You mean the drive that goes into a long, dark hibernation after you have kids? Right? Those jives shift and change. Experts, <laughs> experts have found a common food item that decreases the sex drive of a woman by 90%. You know what that is? Wedding cake. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> ah, that was a good one. All right, I'll do one for the guys. How do you know if your husband's dead? The sex is the same, but you get to use the remote afterwards. Okay, we're even. We're even. Okay, those drives change. They do. They're all over the board. They shift and they change through the different seasons. And listen, you have a whole lifetime to figure out how to please each other in all the different seasons that you go through as a married couple. Sex is important, but it's something that you have time to explore and have time to work on. And you'll need to as your relationship evolves. So don't buy into the myth of sexual compatibility. So, see, sex, sex blinds and it binds and inside of marriage, those are incredible things. Outside of marriage, it may seem fun, but you're really setting yourself up for heartache and for pain, and you may be harming your future marriage in ways that you don't even realize. 
It might have consequences for years to come. So it is an amazing gift. But if you want to experience to its fullest, um, without causing damage, you need to keep it within the guardrails. Now, there's a few topics that I can preach on. Um, and I can, I can try my best to have one or two points. Um, and the Spirit just speaks in a thousand different ways during that sermon. And sex is one of those topics. I'm going to get texts. I'm going to get emails and saying, man, God really spoke to me uh, through that message. And I'll read it and say, I didn't say anything like that. But the Holy Spirit just used this topic because it's such an important topic. And we don't talk about it near enough. So I know the Spirit's working. And I also know that um, our sexuality and our sexual past can be um, just where most of our brokenness and shame lies. So I know there's people in this room and watching online at all of our campuses, and you may be in completely different places. Um, maybe you experienced sexual abuse in the past, and this is kind of an uncomfortable topic for you. Maybe um, you're thinking, man, I've, I've failed in the past. I've been on the right road for a while. I'm feeling some shame about that. Maybe right now you're like, I am just in this place of just, it's a mess. Sex is in my life and it's just complicated stuff. Maybe you're newly married and you're just now realizing that your sexual past is complicating your marriage currently. And you're like, can I, we're gonna move beyond that. And so I just wanna be the first to say um, that no one in this room or watching online is perfect when it comes to their sexual past. So I have dropped the ball. I've made mistakes sexually in the past. By the grace of God, it wasn't blot, but I've still failed. And when you look at the bar that Jesus gives us, which is, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I've heard it said, don't look lustfully. All of us have failed, okay? And so I know for a lot of us, what you might be feeling now um, is a sense of guilt and a, a sense of shame. Um, our most shameful memories tend to be on the topic of sex. And as a pastor, what I'm not called to do is to lower the seriousness of that sin. That's what our culture does. Our culture says, hey, no big deal. So you messed up. Sex is not a big deal. It's not serious. It's no big deal. It's not serious. Don't feel those things. But when you look in the eyes of someone who has experienced sexual abuse, there's no way you can tell them it's not a big deal. We know sex is serious. We know that. In fact, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he doesn't lessen the seriousness of their sin. He says this in 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he lists all these different types of sexual immorality. So it is serious. He doesn't, he doesn't lessen the seriousness of their sin, but in the very next breath, he lifts up the sufficiency of their Savior. He says this, and such were some of you. These are people who had a habit of going to see prostitutes. He said, no, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so if you're feeling some, some measure of shame right now, just know that is not from the heart of God. He loves you, he accepts you, and no matter what your past is, no matter what you did last night, not only can God forgive you, but he can wash you, he can cleanse you, he can transform you, he can redeem you, and he can use you in his kingdom. And I can point to people that are living proof of that. 
And so in this moment, he is inviting you into a better sort of life. But I know that there's lots of people watching at our campuses online in this room right now. You need to make some decisions right now. If you have a lifestyle of pursuing sex outside of marriage, you need to stop. You need to repent. You need to confess. And you need to run to Jesus for transformation. And I want you to know that that your Savior is sufficient to help you do that. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Come ask one of us to give you, hold you accountable and walk beside you. Some of you are in this room right now and you just know you need to break up with the person that you're dating. And I would ask you, I would beg you, have the courage to do that, to have that hard conversation. Again, your Savior is sufficient to give you the courage, to give you the words, to walk alongside you after that. Some of you might have a secret sexual habit that you haven't told anyone about. It's time to bring that into the light so you can experience that washing, that cleansing, that healing. And again, we'd love to talk with you. Some of you have been abused in the past sexually and you haven't told anyone and it's time. It's time to say those words, to to get someone trusted, a pastor or a volunteer leader here and to tell them whatever it is, you need to make some decisions to experience that grace and to start a new sort of life. Maybe you're sleeping with person after person after person after person, and the reason is, maybe you're realizing it right now, is you are desperately searching for love or for unconditional acceptance or for some semblance of intimacy, and you just come up empty-handed every time, and you just need to hear today that sex is a horrible substitute for what you were created for. You will only find that love and that sort of intimacy and that sort of unconditional acceptance in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe today you just need to cry out and say, God, I want a relationship with you. I want to turn from my sin. I want you to forgive me and wash me and transform me and send your spirit to live inside me. So whatever it is, whatever it is, we want to give you time online to do that, to to give you time to respond. So I'm going to pray when I say amen at our campuses. We're going to sing a song online. There's going to be some vamping behind, but I don't want us to leave here unchanged. So do what the Spirit is calling you to do. So would you bow with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's given in love and it's true in spirit. I pray that you would just fall in an unnatural way here in the next few moments. God, I pray that you would just free people in bondage. I pray that you would cause blinders to fall off of eyes. I, I pray that you would adjust the whole course of people's lives. Father, I pray that you would transform, that you would heal, that you would wash, that you would renew, that you would redeem because you and you alone can. And I pray that you do this in your power and for the point of your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.